few weeks ago, my family was here visiting, and it just happened to me my turn to speak that Sunday. And so with the elders' permission, I asked my dad to speak for me, and he had a few topics in mind, and he said, I think I'm leaning towards talking about character, the importance of character, and how we can work to change and improve our character. And he didn't know that we had done the sermon series in January on the characteristics of elders and deacons. And I said, I think that'll actually fit in great. What was also interesting about that is I had already built my sermon I'm giving this morning on influence. And something my dad said during his sermon, he talked about the importance of our character. He said, character determines our reputation, which ultimately affects our influence. And that's exactly what we were. We want to pick up and talk about for a little while this morning. Character affects our reputation, which ultimately affects our influence. Think about the parable of the leaven here given by Jesus. You know, part of why I think I'm so excited about this sermon this morning, maybe part of that is it's been sitting there for several weeks, but I truly believe that if we properly understand and implement these concepts and principles about exerting a powerful, godly influence, I believe they can transform your relationships tremendously. I believe they can improve your effectiveness in any area or arena in your life. And I truly believe that they can dramatically improve your life and the lives of those who come into contact with you. In Matthew 13, verse 33, as Jesus gives the parable of the leaven, he says, Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is likened to leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leaven. We think about the concept of leaven in this parable in its context, signifying the pervasive and benevolent influence of the kingdom of heaven. It was going to be impressionable. It was going to produce an effect. It was going to make its presence felt. And I submit to you, if that's going to occur collectively, it requires that we be making our presence felt individually. And we're going to talk not only about why we need to be doing that, but how we go about exerting a powerful, godly influence. And I think that needs to start by first admitting and appreciating the fact that no matter how stubborn, how independent, how much of a Texan American you are, in fact, influenced. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. And when the Bible gives you a statement about don't be deceived about this, we need to pay special close attention because that's exactly what happens. It is much easier to pull someone off an elevated platform than to pull them up. Proverbs 13 and verse 20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And we see this play out all the time. That's why as parents, we attempt to lawnmower or helicopter parent approach. Think about two sweet, pure, innocent kids. Good kids, good parents have all the spiritual advantages in the world, and yet as adults, they take separate paths. And we look up one day and we ask, what went wrong? What I believe often is the most common denominator and explanation is their friends. 
Who exposed them to drugs and alcohol and pornography and shoplifting for the first time? Their friends, their teammates, their boyfriends, etc. Psalm 1, what makes a person a blessed man, like a tree planted by rivers of water, fruitful, productive, successful in life? He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the way of the sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus described a road that leads to destruction. And notice, he doesn't describe it as a lonely road. He describes it as a broad road because we are generally traveling the path of those around us. There's a general rule. It's not absolute, but it says you are the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. Similarly put, it's been said, in 10 years, you'll be the same person except for the books you've read and the relationships you've kept. And so I believe one of the most important and critical skills to acquire and develop personally and then to share and teach to others, including our children, is the art of choosing your friends wisely. When we think about God's standards for our friends, Hebrews 13, verse 7 admonishes us, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Find people who are where you want to be, especially spiritually. Where you want to be. They talk about rubbing elbows with great people and their greatness rubs off on you. People who have the marriage that you want to have. People who have... Children, you want your children to grow up acting like that. People who are very effective at leading people to Christ, who are very good at evangelism and discipling. Say, I want to be like that. People who are good with finances and are generous and are good stewards of the blessings of God. Observe their manner of life. Watch and follow. And don't be too proud to ask them, how'd you get there? They'll be flattered. And I'm guessing they'll be willing to help. God's standards for our friends starts with making Jesus our best friend. And I find it absolutely incredible that he says, I don't call you servants, I call you my friends. But understand that having God as your best friend makes it impossible to be friends with the world. Psalm 119 verse 63, I'm a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. How do we do that? Not by forsaking the assemblies of the church, not by showing up once a week and freelancing the rest of the week, but considering one another to provoke into love and to good works, exhorting one another in so much the more. Reminds me of a story about a little girl with her father and they were leaving to go to church one Sunday morning and it was cold outside. It had snowed and they had a nice warm fire, and she looked longingly at the fireplace, and she said, Dad, why can't we just stay home and have church? And he took a clamping tool and removed one coal from the pile, and it burned bright for a moment, and then it turned gray and ashen, and it died. And he said, that's what happens to Christians who don't stay close to people who energize them. That synergistic effect, if you don't stay close and connected to people who are on fire, your fire's going to go out. But Christians who stay close to other Christians burn bright to light the world. And I want to tell you, you don't have a better friend in the world than someone who's led you to Christ, someone who's leading you closer to Christ. 
And on that note, I want to mention one other thing before we move on. I want to talk about what I believe is the second most important decision in relationship you'll ever have in your life after Jesus Christ, and that's the person you choose to become one with. You literally become one. Research shows, in theory, most of the time, you become very similar to the person you marry. Think about Samson. He married a woman who cared more about money than him. Think about the alliance of Ahab and Jezebel. You talk about a power couple, yikes. And maybe the ultimate example, King Solomon. In all of his wisdom, wisest man that ever lived, the one we said, you become like those you associate. We read that proverb. We're going to read more proverbs. And yet Solomon loved many strange women. God had warned them about pursuing these relationships and these influences, not intermarrying with these people, and yet he clave unto these with love. His wives turned away his heart to other gods, and his heart was not perfect before the Lord. He went after them. He built high places. He burned incense. He sacrificed to their gods. Here is the man who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, the book of Proverbs, and he's bowing down to a statue. And if it can happen to him, it can certainly happen to me. And we need to make God's wisdom the checklist for what we look for in a mate and a friend. And so I think we can easily establish that we are all, in fact, influenced and in some ways products of our environment. But I want to spend the rest of our time talking about how to be a godly influence on other people. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. The word there, translated example, Greek word typos, think about a type, a model for imitation, a pattern, a print, a formula, and I think one of the best illustrations of that is a stamp. This particular one has my name on it, and you take a stamp, and hopefully it makes the same impression over and over and over again. And I'll confess, there are things about my character, decisions I've made, I would want this to never touch. But when we are consistent, not that we're perfect, but when we are consistently trying to live by this pattern, this formula, this standard, it makes an impression on people. And that's when people begin to look at us and they say, I want to follow that formula, that pattern, because I want those results. He tells them, don't let people despise your youth. And that's a common problem for young people sometimes. And what's interesting, when you look at the context of that, you grow up, you quote this as a teenager, and I think no matter how young or young-ish any of you are this morning, we ought to identify with this passage, seek to be an example of the believers in the ways we're going to talk about for the rest of our study. But while Timothy may have been a teenager when he initially went with Paul, by this point, many people believe he was probably in his 30s. So it wasn't Timothy the age I was in high school, it was Timothy the age I am right now. And if you want to be respected, be respectable. You want people to take you serious? Take yourself serious. Somebody says, well, I just don't care what people think. And I get there is a certain sense, do what's right, not always popular, but there is another sense in which you do need to care about your reputation because, again, it affects your ability to influence people. And I want to tell every single person in this room this morning, no matter how old or young, even our young children, every single one of us have an influence and have the ability and the power to influence. 
If you have younger siblings, I hope you're probably more aware of that from a young age. I'm considerably older than all of my siblings. And so while I was not always the example and influence I wish I had been, I knew I needed to be, I was very aware at an early age that I had an influence on somebody. It was evident by their constant imitation, which at the time was annoying, by my parents' constant admonition. And then you grow up and you have your own children and it's taken to a whole nother terrifying level. And you see how quickly they pick up on things. You see how closely they're watching. A couple years ago, we had been to several baseball games and we got home. Kyson was probably only a couple years old and he was carrying himself like the baseball players. He had the stance. He wiggled the bat the right way. And then we started to hear a noise that you don't want to hear inside. And it was confirmed he was spitting all over our living room. And his mother quickly recalibrated him. You can and you will, especially inside, you will play baseball without spitting. But they watch a lot closer than we realize. And understand that as a Christian, being an example is not optional. It's expected. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You don't light a candle and put a basket over it. What are the baskets in your life that are dimming your light, that are hindering your influence, and do you understand the power of your influence? Even trivial things, daily basis, we're influencing people. Kelsey and I have been trying to influence Lincoln to get out of diapers before baby sister gets here, and we have discovered that we aren't as influential as we hoped. But we have the ability to influence people out of sin, too. The more important things, you have the power to influence people to follow Jesus and go to heaven. Parable of the mustard seed, parable of the leaven, little things that become great. And I think our influence on other people is often the consistent, cumulative, daily effect of that association. But sometimes we can say one word, we can do one thing that changes things forever. And so Paul says, be an example of the believers in word, the Greek word logos, your speech, what you say, how you say it, which studies show people study more your tone, your body language than what you're actually saying. What you're talking about, which is a reflection on your values and your priorities. Titus 2, admonition to young men and all things, show yourself a pattern of good works. Exactly what we're talking about. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. Ephesians 4, a lot here about our interaction with others through our speech. I want you to Look particularly at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So before you speak, before you post, is what I'm about to say going to minister grace to my audience. Yeah, it was true. But was it truth with grace and love? Is it going to edify And understand that adverse situations reveal your heart. Everything we're talking about, people especially are watching close when you're going through adversity. It shows your true colors, your character. And so what do you do when somebody cuts you off? What do you do when somebody gets your order wrong? What do you do when somebody elevates their voice and is angry and disrespectful? How do you respond? There's a quote that great men show their greatness by how they treat little men. And so as we talk about our influence through our speech, I want to go to the book of Proverbs because I think there's a lot there, a lot of principles for us that I think are really, really helpful. 
And we can apply these principles not just to our speech, but I believe today we can apply it to social media, and we need to apply it to social media. Notice Proverbs 17, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Notice verse 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. I want to share with you, the few times I've actually done this, it's had a tremendous effect. One of the most practical, easy in theory things you can do to accelerate your influence with other people is to listen. And listen actively. And you can go through a lot of nuances. We don't have time. I hope this inspires you to body language, word choice. There's so many nuances to being an influential person, to build rapport with people. But we talk about active listening. Repeat words that the person has used. They feel connected. Ask questions. Tilt your head. Lean in. But I think we know also things not to do. When you're listening to somebody, don't do this. Understand that you're talking to an American. So you talk about comfort zone and, and, and the, the bubble. You can stand closer to someone at their side than head on. If you get up in somebody's face with bug eyes not blinking, you're going to influence them to get away from you. And so there are nuances to active listening. People want to be heard. They want to feel listened to. Even if you disagree, we're not saying agree with them if they're wrong. If you say, I understand what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I could see how you feel that way. If you'll just start with that, even if you disagree, they're going to be a lot more receptive. And my wife will tell you I'm the world's worst sometimes at doing that, showing empathy. And she'll bring me a problem or she'll talk about something that's going on in her life. And before she's done even talking, I'm interrupting her. I've done the root cause analysis, step one, step two, step three. And I've told her, you've got to, I'm that ignorant. You've got to start telling me I want empathy, not solutions. There's a saying, people sometimes call the doctor when all they want is an audience. Listen to people. You know what the key to being the most interesting man in the world is? Not drinking alcoholic beverages, doing things like that. It's listening. You want to be interesting? Be interested. That's the key. You might say two sentences the whole night, and people say, that guy is so interesting. They're such a great conversationalist. You know why? You know what people's favorite subject is often? (laughs) Themselves. And if you can get them talking about themselves, what they like, what they're interested in, their family, their goals, their aspirations, their problems, they'll say, that guy is so interesting because they were talking about themselves the whole night. What a great conversationalist. If you want to be interesting, be interested. That's the key. Verse 1, don't isolate yourself. And there's a tendency to do that, especially in social media. You take positions that are just isolating. You have to interact to make an impact. Verse 3, don't dishonor yourself. You'll see people all the time get mad because somebody posted a picture of them on Facebook that was unflattering or compromising. You know, there's an obvious solution to that problem. (laughs) Just saying. Verse 6 and 7, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. You ever hit send or post or open your big mouth, and you invited a beating, and you don't know what just happened? I've done that too many times to count. Yeah, I spoke. 
but I didn't persuade. Ask yourself, what's the effect? Is this going to minister grace to the audience? Because if this is polarizing, you're not going to change anybody. The people that agree with you still agree with you. People who don't agree with you disagree with you even more. Is this unifying or divisive? Another thing to consider too is a lot of what you're seeing on the internet that you're sharing might not be true. And when you share things that are obviously not true, it hurts your credibility. Public service announcement. If you choose not to share something you're getting pressured to share on social media, you won't die, at least immediately. You're going to die eventually, but you won't die immediately. And you can still go to heaven, even if you choose not to share that. Verse 9, quit wasting time. My dad calls Facebook, Wastebook. <laughs> and I'll tell him, though, you know, there, he wants to know some information. So I'm like, if you had a Wastebook, you'd know this. But there's some truth in the fact that if you really want to have an impact and an influence on people, that's usually going to happen in person. Quit wasting so much time on the internet. Verse 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Again, listen, understand. Really understand before you talk, before you respond. And if you make people feel misunderstood, like you aren't listening to them, like they're stupid, they're going to dig in. I know that. We know that. Human nature. You're going to get defensive. You're going to justify. You're going to condemn and resent, even if you know what they're saying is true. If possible, sometimes take an indirect approach. Now, there's a time and place for a direct approach, but depending on the person and the personality, sometimes using the Socratic method, asking questions, leading them to where they figure out they're wrong themselves can be a lot more effective. If you want honey, quit kicking the beehive and understand the power of a compliment. Now, we're not talking about false flattery. People see through that, and they don't like that either. But if there's something legitimate that you can compliment somebody with, especially if you're about to have a tough conversation, start with a compliment. Do what Paul did. Lather them up before you shave them. In verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. We see children all the time. We see this happen all the time. A child tells another child, you should just go, and they do. Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. Choose your words wisely. Be an example of the believers in conduct. 1 Peter 3, 1, verse 15, uh, Peter writes, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation or lifestyle, every aspect of your life. You know, people who are influential typically are authentic. Now, we can talk about if that's good or bad or if that's, if that's a good thing or positive or negative, but they are who they are. They're authentic. And you know how you become authentic? What you say has to be in constant alignment with what you actually do. person that's not just talking and talking and talking and talking, but a person that's actually doing. That's when people look at you and say, that person's the real deal. And I want to be the real deal. And when you're the real deal, people are a lot more likely to be real with you. Chapter 2, he says, abstain from fleshly lust. Be willing to say no. We talk a lot about the power of yes. People like to hear yes more than they like to hear no. So if yes is the appropriate response, that's great. In business, they talk about the yes ladder in sales. And even you could apply it to evangelism. Get them to say yes to things. Do we need to obey God? Is this important? Yes, yes. And the more they say yes, it biases them against saying no to the conclusion. 
But here's the point. If I'm not willing to say no when that's required, it's willingness to say no that gives meaning to my yeses. Chapter 3, he talks about the influence in marriage. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. It reminds me of a story about a lady who was going to church one Sunday morning, as was her custom, and her husband was not supportive of that to the point this particular day he met her at the door and held a gun to her head, and she said, either shoot me and I'm going to heaven or get out of my way and I'm going to church. And he later converted. They did a study of teenagers and why they weren't following their parents' faith. You want to know what the number one reason given was? They don't practice what they preach. Man was doing a Bible study with several children and he asked the rhetorical question, why do people call me a Christian? And he was shocked. One of the kids spoke up and said, because they don't know you. Children who see abuse amongst their parents are six times more likely to abuse their spouse one day, 12 times more likely if they were abused themselves. Chapter four, what's the, what kind of response should we expect? People are going to think you're strange. You're going to make an impression, but not everybody's going to like it. You can expect abuse. In this country, fortunately, they're going to speak evil of you. Verbal abuse. But if someone who knew nothing about the Bible, nothing about Christianity, looked at your life on a daily basis and that was all they knew, what would their impression of Christianity be? Be an example of the believers in love, agape love. We talk a lot about that. Translated charity because it's not a love that just wishes something, but it's a love that influences and a love that impresses and a love that blesses. Think about Romans 14. It's Paul talked about judgment areas, gray areas, and making the best decision. And a person that loves people with agape love doesn't just consider what will the influence and effect of this choice have on me, but what will be the influence and effect on other people. Don't put a stumbling block before other people. And I want you to look particularly at what he says here, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. For meat destroy not the work of God. If we will look at everybody we interact with as the work of God, as one for whom Christ died, it'll change our interaction. There's a sense in which you only love God as much as the person you love least. What if Jesus came to your house today? You say, well, I would roll out the red carpet. I'd treat him better than I've ever treated anyone in my life. What if I told you? He's already been there. And he comes knocking on your door daily throughout your life through people who need agape love. Matthew 25. And maybe he would say today, I was eating alone, and you came and ate with me. I was lonely in a nursing home, and you came and spent time with me. I needed the hope and truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you cared enough to come share it with me. There's a monument to a missionary in a foreign place that says, when he landed in 1848, there were no Christians. When he left in 1872, there were no heathen. 
And that's the most impressive love of all. The love that's willing to go to a foreign place for somebody else. The love that's willing to inconvenience ourselves, our time, or maybe we invest in other people. The love that people feel and see when they know that we genuinely want to see them fly. When they know the motive and the agenda and they feel without a doubt that we want them to go to heaven. I want to tell you that's when you'll begin to have the most powerful influence of all, and that's when you'll become the most influential person in someone's life. John 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. I want to tell you it's this love that causes all men to know who you are, whose you are, and what you really believe. Be an example of the believers in spirit. Going back to 1 Peter chapter 3, I want you to notice verse 4. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Let your spirit be what wins people over. Not an overpowering, arrogant spirit, an humble, gentle spirit. Greek word pneuma, character, your disposition, your attitude, which is contagious. We are influencing people in that way all the time. Think about the power of smiling. You ever been somewhere where... People aren't in a good mood. Maybe a doctor's office, waiting room, I think. of. Maybe a family function, sadly. And then an infant or a baby smiles, and it lights up the room, and you can't help but smile back. That's the power of influencing people with your spirit. And people, studies again show, people are drawn like a magnet to people who are positive. Not that we don't have bad days, but if you walk around and act like Eeyore every day in person and on social media, people aren't going to... You're not going to have influence with people. Be willing to laugh at yourself. Laugh with people. Don't laugh at people. You do the former, people will love you. You do the latter, people will despise you. 1 Peter 3.15, what causes people to be drawn to ask about our faith? An evident hope. They want to see, they want to feel that way. Be positive. Be humble. We understand that We are repulsed by people who are arrogant. So ask questions instead of stating demands. Let them think that it's their idea. Let them get the credit. That's very effective in sales too and in evangelism. As you said, you made a great point earlier. Yes, and because we said earlier, a person convinced against his own will is of the same opinion still. But understand on the other end of the spectrum is what they call insecurity, And I believe insecurity is just another manifestation of pride. And studies show when you know insecurity is not influential, it's annoying. You have to have a certain level of confidence. If you're in the people business and you're going to get told no and rejected and you're going to fail and fall on your face, you've got to have confidence not in yourself but in Him and in the message that you have a story worth sharing and telling that people need to hear it you don't have that, you're going to quit. Studies show, again, people are drawn to confident people. They did a study of children, and what they found is the children in class that were the most confident were the leaders. 
and were more successful long-term, even if they were less competent and less intelligent than their peers, we are drawn to people who know what they believe, who have confidence in what they believe. Confidence in what they're doing is going to make a difference. As we talk about also influencing people with our spirit, we see memes all the time, keep calm, keep calm, keep calm, because that's rare. (laughs) We live in an out-of-control world, and everybody's angry politically, religiously, morally. And if you can keep your wits, and you can live under control in an out-of-control world, you'll be a magnetic force. When people see that quiet confidence and inner peace that the world is missing, your test becomes a testimony. Be an example of the believers in faith. Greek word pistis, you look at that word, it doesn't just mean my confidence, my conviction, my belief, my faith, but what's manifested in faithfulness. Think about Paul commending the Thessalonians because your examples to all that believe, the word came out from you, your faith is spread abroad, so much so there's nothing left to say about you that's not already been said. Your faith grows exceedingly. We glory in your faith. You endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. You want to know how you destroy your influence and credibility? Be unfaithful at home with your spouse, your children, at church. Say you're going to do something and don't do it. We are drawn to people who follow through. What if everyone decided to assemble, give, evangelize, serve, treat their spouse the way you do? Would the world, would the church be better or worse? Finally, be an example of the believers in purity, going back to 1 Peter 3, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And often the Greek word is associated with the concept of sexual purity, and there's a big need for that today, but we want to think bigger than that. Every aspect of my life and the entertainment, what I wear, what I listen to, what I watch. You ever been around people who convict you about being an example of purity, thought you were doing pretty good, and then you come home and say, we need to be careful about what we're watching. It's not that they're arrogant, not that they're self-righteous. They just have high standards. People need to see a contrast. And the great thing about this particular characteristic is no matter how talented you are, how many resources you have, the charisma you have, The feeblest light in the middle of the night shines like the stars. And God has called us and equipped us to shine like his sun. As we think about the ways we're to influence people, we talked about having a preserving influence earlier, an inspiring influence. People are drawn like a bug zapper to people who are passionate, who believe in something bigger than themselves. They want to be part of something That's bigger than themselves. We want to believe like that. What passion are you influencing the world with? Hopefully it's an evangelizing and saving. If you want to make a difference that really lasts for generations, spider webbing in ways that you won't know this side of heaven, lead at least one person to Christ and see what happens. Hebrews 11 verse 4, speaking of the faith of Abel, By it, he being dead, yet speaketh. The word there in the Greek, speaketh, is a present tense, active voice form, basically meaning perpetual. And that can be positive or negative. I think about the terrible epitaph, bury my influence with me. So how were yours read? 
Epitaphs God wrote, obituaries God wrote, and the way he described different people, how was God going to describe you? What legacy will you leave? And is your life worthy of imitation? 3 John 12 speaks of one Demetrius who hath good report of all men, not only that, and of the truth itself. Isn't that amazing? Not only a good reputation with everybody, but with the truth itself. And when it's all said and done, what will the record say about you? I want to share one more thing, practical thing. If you want your influence to explode a hundredfold, help people get what they want. Now, if what they want's not right, change what they want by showing them what they need. But here's the point. You're going to make a lot more friends, as we said earlier, being interesting instead of interested instead of getting them to be interested, being interested in them instead of getting them to be interested in you. We talked about that concept earlier, if I can remember it. But if you make people feel like you're trying to make them do something they don't want to do, they don't want to buy. They might buy it short-term. They're not going to keep buying it long-term. If you're trying to manipulate them, Kelsey's always complaining because she says, I can manipulate the boys better than she can. That might be true, but I've told her that's not a compliment. Because <laughs> in the short-term, I can get them to do what I want to do through power and manipulation, but you know what? They're not going to do it long-term. If they don't understand the why, if they don't buy in, they're not intrinsically motivated, you have to have your own reasons for doing something. You see, like on The Voice, these shows where multiple judges are trying to get one contestant to pick their team, and one of them will say, well, I, I can do this for you, and I've done this, and I have all this, and, I, and, I. and then another one will say, you know what? You have so much potential. Let me be a part of your journey and help you fly. That's how you close a cell. Make it about them, not about you. There's a saying, people don't buy drills, they buy Holes. The power of because and why. You need to do this because. Show them the impact of a life following Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven. What it will do for their life and the lives of those they love. And that's when you'll be more influential. That's when you'll live a life that truly makes a difference. You are the light of the world. If you're a Christian this morning, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the world. And I want to tell you, it's not because you're the most talented, the best looking, the smartest, the richest, it's because you're his. It's his success story. And our goal in exerting a powerful, godly influence is not that the world would be impressed with us, that the world would be impressed with him. And anything they see in us, anything we are, anything that we do is simply a reflection of our relationship with the God and Savior who's changed not just what I do and who I am, but what I want to do and who I want to be. As we offer an invitation, if you're here and you're influenced by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you want to change your influence, your environment, your influence on others, crucify the old man of sin, be born again in the kingdom of heaven, resurrected to walk with him in newness of life. You're here maybe as a Christian, you also need to do that by changing your environment so that you can be a better example of the believers. Make Jesus Christ the ultimate why, cause, and influence that motivates and drives your life. And you'll live a life 
that makes a difference and continues to make a difference long after you're gone. If you're influenced to respond to that invitation, please come and have a seat on the front as we stand and sing together.